0: Welcome to the Doxology and Theology Podcast, presented by the Institute for Biblical Worship at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. That's right, I said it's the Doxology and Theology Podcast, a podcast for worship leaders who know that the gospel is so good it has to be sung. I'm your host, Matthew Westerholm, professor of worship here at Southern Seminary and the executive director of the Institute for Biblical Worship. On today's episode, we are dipping into our worship resources to bring you a workshop by Dr. Don Whitney. Dr. Whitney is the Professor of Biblical Spirituality and the Associate Dean of the School of Theology at Southern Seminary. He has written books such as The Disciplines for the Christian Life, Family Worship, and many more. In this workshop, Dr. Whitney talks about the discipline of worship.
1: Hi, I'm Don Whitney from Southern Seminary. Thanks for joining this breakout session on the discipline of worship, or as I've uh, subtitled it, um, the uh, leader of public worship should be a leader of private worship. Whether you're a pastor or a worship leader, if you're a worship leader in public worship, you're to be a leader, and example in private worship as well. And so that's what this session is about. And I'd begin by reminding you that Jesus was a worshiper. Jesus himself reiterated the Old Testament command. He obeyed the Old Testament command. Worship the Lord your God, he said, Matthew four ten. It is our great privilege as well as our duty, but a, a desirable duty, a duty we want to obey When we are created, oh, come, let us worship and bow down, says Psalm 95, 6. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. It's our purpose. We were created for the enjoyment and glorification of God. That's what worship basically is. And that is something, if it's not reflected in your personal life, in your private life, well, there's a problem and it, it makes us hypocrites to be leaders in public worship if we are not models, leaders in private worship. When we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, when we're regenerated, when we're born again, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live within us. And one of the evidences of that and the the, uh, results of that is that the Holy Spirit gives us new holy hungers and holy appetites. We hunger for the holy word of God. We used to find boring or irrelevant. We have holy appetites, in other words, for the holy things of God and for a holy God himself. We hunger to experience the God who is called holy, holy, holy. So we have holy longings, holy aspirations. We want to be with holy people. That's why Uh, John says, by this we know we've passed out of darkness into light because we love the brothers. We love others who love our God. So we love the will of God. We love the ways of God. We love the people of God. We love holiness. uh, and, And we love to enjoy God. We love to worship God. So that's a mark of someone indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You love all things holy. Most of all, a God who is holy, holy, holy. And so that's why if if a person doesn't worship God, both publicly and private, it it means they don't know God. We are created to be worshipers and we find our greatest glory and joy in the enjoyment of God. But we're busy and we're overwhelmed and we have so many responsibilities. So this is an exhortation for those who are public worshipers, public worship leaders to be private worship leaders as well, examples, models of those who worship God privately. If we don't worship God privately, how can we pretend to be worshiping God publicly? As I said there's a there's a great element of, of hypocrisy there. When we're attempting to lead people in public to do something we are not doing ourselves in private. So let's uh, talk about what worship is to some degree here. It's one of those things which we sort of all know what it is, but defining it is is rather difficult. Let me give you a a simple definition that it's focusing on and responding to God. You and I both could nuance that definition to, to a page of length that none of us would remember, even though it'd be more precise. But nevertheless, at its essence, the worship I'm talking about both in private and you're leading people to do in public is, is focusing on and responding to God. I often use hand motions to remind people of this, the binoculars, focusing on, and to the degree that we do that, to the degree we will respond in worship to God. We see this in John 20, 28, when the resurrected Jesus appears to his disciples a second time, he shows Thomas his hands, his feet, and Thomas says, my Lord, and my God, there is worship. He focused on. He saw Jesus and the wounds. He responded, "My Lord and my God." Powerful illustrations of this in Revelation four and five, two of the great chapters on worship in the Bible, where there are those creatures around the throne of God who day and night, without ceasing, cry out, "Holy, holy, holy," is the Lord God who was, who is, who is to come. They have a, this unbroken focus on God because there's nothing between them and God. All the other creatures around, the 24 elders are outside of them. They are this inner ring with nothing between them and God, and so they have an unbroken focus on God. What's the result? Unbroken response. Day and night without ceasing. Ever since they were created, all they have done is to say holy, holy, holy. Not because it's their job description to do so. They can't help it. They are focusing on a holy God and the result is unbroken, unceasing worship. So what I'm saying is if you focus on God, you will respond in worship. You can't help it. A being this glorious, this beautiful, this awesome, you focus on that being, you will respond in worship. For example, if a F5 tornado were bearing down upon your church building and you were in in the pulpit and you were looking through windows in the back, you could see it coming, but they're facing you. Their back is to the tornado. You would see that and you would respond right? You can't help it. It's too powerful. It's too awesome. And yet other people as near as you could be totally unmoved by it because they're not focused on the tornado. They're they're focused on you. Imagine driving along with a glorious, unparalleled sunset over to your west. Over to your right, you're driving the car, your spouse, someone else is on the right hand side. And as they look over and gaze in at that, gaze on that sunset, and it, it's so beautiful, they have to respond. They sigh, they say, Oh, that's beautiful. And as the driver, you're focused on the traffic. So you glance over at the sunset and you say, Yeah, that's really beautiful. But see, that was more of a calculated, expected response. Your focus was on the traffic. You just glanced at the sunset, but the passenger focusing on the sunset found something there so beautiful, it was impossible not to respond. It was irresistible. It was too beautiful to be ignored once there was some prolonged focus upon. Brothers and sisters, when we focus on God, He is so beautiful that we cannot help but respond. So there is worship, but it begins with focus. And to the degree you focus on God, to the degree you will worship. It's not calculated. You don't say, well, I suppose the thing to do is to sing. I suppose the thing to do is to worship God because uh, that's that's right and, and it is right. But that's very different than worship that say, A response from the heart because true worship isn't calculated. It's evoked by the object. It's elicited by the beauty and glory and awesomeness of the object. As this applies to public worship, the job of the worship leader is to present God so gloriously, so beautifully, so so winsomely that those hungry for God who are willing to focus will respond in worship. You don't have to, you know, come on now, let's worship God. Put your heart into it. You, You don't have to say that any more than I would have to say to someone, come on. I want you to really mean it when you run away from that tornado. Now, come on, put your heart in it. No, if you focus on that tornado, you will respond. Flesh and blood cannot endure it. You will respond to that tornado. And so as a worship leader, we lay the banquet of God before people and those who are hungry and thirsty for him will have no hindrance. They will respond in worship. Other people sitting right beside them can be focused on other things, looking at their phone, thinking about a ball game or lunch. And they may even be saying the same words, singing holy, 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 but they're not focused on God. As Jesus put it, their hearts are far away and so they're not worshiping. Worship is focusing on and responding to God. But that's true not only in public worship, but that must be true in our private worship. All worship begins with focusing on God and responding to God. So how does that that work? Well, I think it's very clear that uh, we don't expect the Lord to appear bodily in our worship service this coming Lord's day. Now, if he did, and we would love for that to happen, but it's unlikely until he returns in the air, we we probably won't see him bodily in our worship services. But if he did, what would happen? I'll tell you what wouldn't happen. People wouldn't look up and say, well, my goodness, there's the Lord. You know, I I guess I ought to get up and get, you know, and excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And and then say, I guess I better get on my knees here and worship the Lord. Oh, these old knees, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get up or not. Is that what would happen? No. What would happen is they'd fall on their face instantly. Instant response. Why? Because they could focus on him without any hindrance or distraction. But that's probably not going to happen, is it? So if worship is indeed begins with focusing on God and then responding to him, how are people going to focus on the invisible God? Well, there must be a revelation of God, right? And how has God revealed himself? Well, generally in creation, but most specifically in a word. And what is the word of God? It's Jesus and the Bible both of which are living and active. But Jesus probably isn't going to bodily appear, is he? Therefore, what? There must be much of the Word of God in our worship. What is the Word of God? It is the revelation of God to us. Why is that necessary? Because God is invisible. What does that mean? We can't focus on an invisible God except he revealed himself, and how has he done that for us in scripture? So there must be much of the word of God in our worship. All of our worship leadership is basically revealing God to people through his word. We preach the word. We sing the word. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. We sing the word. We pray the word. We present the word and the elements. All of worship is the presentation of God revealed through his word And the people who want God, who focus on God through these elements will find enough to respond in worship and have their hearts nourished. But now let's take that to private worship. The same is also true for you to focus on the invisible God in worship. How do you focus on invisible God? He must reveal himself to us. He has done so through Jesus and the Bible He's not likely to appear bodily in your private worship. Therefore, there must be much of the word of God in your private worship. And so I would encourage you here in ways some of you have heard me teach before. And that's regarding meditation on scripture and praying the Bible. In your private devotional life, your private worship of God as you be an ongoing example of a worshiper, a person who can stand before the church body in public and exhort them to do what you've been doing in private, that is, enjoying God in worship. In your personal devotional life, there must be much of the word of God. You're probably committed to that already. You read the Bible every day, but if you read it and forget it as soon as you close it, that doesn't do a lot of good. Now, it does some good. I don't want you to stop that. But for way too many people, they say, as soon as I close my Bible, I can't remember a thing I've read. So I would encourage you, don't merely read the Bible, meditate on Scripture. If you only have 10 minutes, don't read for 10 minutes. Read for five minutes. Meditate for five minutes. And if necessary, read less of the Bible in order to remember something. It's far better to read less if necessary and remember something than to read more and remember nothing. My general rule for the intake of the word of God every day is read big, meditate small. Read a big section, a whole chapter, three chapters. Then come back and meditate small, one verse, one phrase, one word. Reading gives us the big picture, the context, the overall narrative of Scripture. We need that. But if that's all you do, you may remember very little and apply nothing. If all we do is meditate on one phrase, one word, we we miss the context and can misunderstand or misinterpret the Bible. And so we need both every day, is my general rule for the intake of Scripture read big, meditate small. And when it comes to prayer, because we're relating this this is part of our worship, right? The, the tendency is to say the same old things about the same old things in prayer, isn't it? And in part that's because our lives tend to consist pretty much of the same old things from one day to the next and that's normal. Our family, our future, our finances, our our, our work or schoolwork for, for a student, for example, your church, your ministry, some Christian concern, and the the current crisis in your life. Those things tend to dominate our prayer lives. Why? Because those things are our lives. There's almost nothing in your life that's unconnected to your family, your future, your finances, a person's work or schoolwork, their church, ministry, current uh, Christian concern, and the current crisis. And thank the Lord, those six things don't change dramatically every day. So to pray about the same old things is normal. The problem is we tend to say the same old things about the same old things. Simple, permanent, biblical solution to that. When you pray, pray the Bible. Turn the words of prayer, turn the words of scripture into the words of your prayer. So if you're praying through Psalm 23 and you read the Lord is my shepherd, thank the Lord for being your shepherd. Ask him to shepherd you in your decisions about the future. Ask him to shepherd you uh, you and others who shepherd the flock of God, ask him to shepherd your family and shepherd you by providing your finances. What comes to mind in those things? So, and when you're through with that, go to the next verse and uh, you know the, the next line, I shall not want, turn that into prayer. Just go through it line by line. By doing so, if you come to a verse you don't understand or uh, you can't think of anything to pray about, fine, go on to the next one. And by so doing, you never run out of anything to say, but more importantly, you never again say the same old things about the same old things. So as I back that up and and give it the big picture, what are we we talking about? As worship leaders, it's easy for us not to be private worshipers. And how can we uh, sustain ourselves as private worshipers? Well, for it to be really worship and not just a devotional habit. We need to experience God, a God who's invisible to us, but he's revealed himself through his word so that we may focus on him. And once we focus on God, who is so glorious and beautiful, as we understand his attributes, we will respond in worship, worship of prayer and adoration and singing and, and heartfelt enjoyment of God. For that to happen, there must be much of the revelation of God in our worship. And so I encourage you to not merely read the Bible, but meditate on it. In my book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, I have 17 different ways to meditate on scripture. There, there's not just one, but to meditate on scripture so that you absorb it. Reading sees the exposure to scripture. Meditation is the absorption of scripture. And it's through the absorption of scripture that we experience the power of it. Reading the Bible tells us God is love. We've got the information, the revelation, the proper facts. But meditation, through meditation, we feel the love of God in biblically appropriate ways. And I want you to feel the power of the word of God. I want you to experience God in biblically appropriate ways. And brothers and sisters, the practical thing we can do that by which that happens is meditation on scripture. It's not mechanical. But that is the means given to us by which we experience the power of the Word of God and the spiritual realities that are revealed in the Word of God. It's by meditation. I contend we just don't do that. And the other thing by which we worship God through His Word is by praying the Bible. Whether it's the passage you read for that day and you go back through and turn that into prayer or after reading you go to one of the Psalms and you turn that into prayer I highly encourage you to do what Jesus did twice on the cross. The early church did in Acts chapter 4 where they prayed and the place was shaken. I encourage you to pray the Bible. I encourage you to be a worship leader in public who is an example of being a worshiper in private, not being a hypocrite, not being one who stands before the congregation to worship but hasn't been worshiping in private. That is a travesty. That is something we're all tempted to do. And I hope that is not the case because if it becomes the reality, instead of a worship leader, you're a worship performer. You're a public worship performer. Others are watching you perform acts of worship. You're a worship leader, but you're not a lead. You're not the lead worshiper. And without what's seen in private, hidden from the eyes of the congregation six days a week, if you're not a worshiper of the Lord in private, you're going to be just a worship performer on Sunday morning. And one last thing, brother and sister you never outgrow this. I'm probably much older than most of you. And I can tell you, you never outgrow the need for the private enjoyment of God. If you outgrow a sense of wanting that, I have serious questions about your relationship with God. But it is common for people who served a long time in ministry to become so accustomed to the routines of ministries uh, that they they can lead a worship service without any thought they've done it so many times. Or someone can prepare a sermon, they just worship But they're just sermon preparation machines. And uh, it becomes a mechanical thing. Brother, sister, we never outgrow our need for the private worship of God. No matter how many sermons you've preached, no matter worship services you've led, no matter how well you know the Bible, you never outgrow your need for communion with God that's cultivated in private worship. May the Lord greatly bless this time and bring much lasting fruit from our time together
0: well that's a hard place to stop but if you would like to hear more from dr don whitney please go to our website biblicalworship.com and click around and find the podcast You can find all sorts of resources that will be a blessing to you and your ministry. That's what we have for you this time on the Doxology and Theology Podcast. Our show is produced by Evan Jarms. It's engineered by Caleb Sherwood. And the music is by our good friend, Joel Nagus. Until next time, this is Dr. Matthew Westerholm reminding you that the gospel is so good it has to be sung. Peace be with you.